This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Yo, Mr. Adam X, you are listening to the Pursuit Podcast on the Out of Collective. You guys know this might be the most important episode that I do all year. Talking about avalanche safety. It was just in Utah. Uh, the snow was stable. It was amazing. It was need to waste deep powder. And then in a day, it flipped. I talked to Andrew. Uh, he is the program manager at the Utah Avalanche Center. He can't talk about everything because he doesn't have all the answers, but we just talk about the importance of safety and education and what we're doing out there and why we're doing it. And like, God, let's just like be safe. 90% of avalanches are human triggered. 90%. We don't have an avalanche problem. We have a people problem. And we talk about it. Again, I just want my friends to be safe. We're just sliding on snow, guys. Even Telemark's gears. We're just sliding on snow. We're having fun. That's what it's supposed to be. Before we get into that episode, gotta give a shout out to my sponsor this week, our friends over at Sierra Nevada. If you're a beer drinker and you want something different that scratches that itch, this does it. Sierra Nevada Hop Splash. Carbon filtered water. It's got notes of peach, mango, and grapefruit. Hoppy, bubbly carbonation. It's, I'm telling you, I love it. It's so refreshing. Even the noise it makes when you open it. Splashy, social, Sierra Nevada, hop splash. It's available nationwide. I, I can't like, I wish I could, Who Anthony Bourdain would explain how good it tastes. It's like a nodes of like grapefruit, little peach, little mango, little hoppy. It's so refreshing. It's hydrating. Uh, it's great for dry January, dry June, dry May. Or it's great if you just want to have something refreshing after a ride. So go check out our friends over at Sierra Nevada. Go to the supermarket, buy some Hop Splash. Zero alcohol, zero calories, refreshing, sparkling infused hops water. Enjoy the episode. Who are you? What do you do? And kind of lay it all out for us. Uh, my name is Andrew Nacetta. My friends call me Andy. We're all friends, so so it's Andy usually. Uh, I'm an avalanche professional uh, specializing in avalanche forecasting, education, and uh, ski guiding. Uh, my main 9 to 5, 365, is working for the Utah Avalanche Center. I'm their program director. Uh, this will be my fifth season in that position heading into the next next year here. And I handle all of our day-to-day -day tasks and uh, oversight on our education program. So our on-snow education, uh, which we teach introductory level courses and basically prepare folks and give them the foundation for the future of their on-snow education and avalanche uh, knowledge. Uh, other than that, I'm a skier. I'm a sledder at the end of the day. And, uh, <laughs> I can't get away from it. So who I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, maybe take some hot takes this whole time and you can obviously battle me here but who well, should be taking avalanche courses you know it's funny it's i could come at it from a, a bunch of different perspectives but i really start out with doing simple math right one plus one equals two that's a very important equation you know <laughs> it's a very important equation and we we learn it uh when we're very young and we're, when we're first getting introduced to the world and backcountry education is no different, right? There's there's simple equations, one plus one equals two, and things don't always add up out there. But to be able to get that knowledge and and receive that education at an early stage when you're getting into the backcountry, uh, before you make all the mistakes that you don't want to make, it is the vital piece of it. It's such a, like, because I battle this a lot. <laughs> I... Maybe a wrong take, probably a wrong take, but I am a firm believer in, and again, this is my job to be a little devil's advocate here, but sometimes education can get you in trouble. So like you guys forecast your crew, your team, you're smarter than me. You guys do all these things. And then I go out highly educated, quote unquote, I dig a pit and I'm like, I don't know what they saw. I don't see it. And then I get myself in trouble. 
thoughts, concerns. It's an odd so, hill to die on. You know, it's it's funny. It's uh, I kind of use the example of avalanche rescue equipment, which which we can get into. But you know, there's it's like when you go out hiking for the day, you bring food, water, maybe a little med kit, right? When you go into the backcountry on snow, there's a few different other things that we got to carry some essential pieces of equipment. Um, I carry them with me every day. Right. And, and I learn about these things that I need to do. I need to carry. I need to focus on every single day when I go out. And I don't know about those things unless a I've made a mistake that right teaches me the experience I need or B, I go seek out that experience through education. So I kind of look at it as, as like the seatbelt. Right. I want to put the seatbelt on before I ever get get an accident. Um, so I want to get that education really before I start to get out there and a either find myself in a, a hairy spot. Um, or, or, or really, you know, don't allow myself to build that good foundation and uh, receive that education to prevent those mistakes that I'm going to make when I'm out there. That is a great answer as a program director. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> sales, man. It's sales out here. <laughs> no, but I, I, I'm obviously asking these questions and leading, but I think we, we have that mentality of like, I'm pretty comfortable in the backcountry. I spend a lot of time back there, but like, I don't spend enough time using the tools that I would possibly need to save a friend's life and the only way you're going to get to use those tools is a if if you make a bunch of mistakes and then you're live and using them or b you're taking these courses you're re-upping your education like it's it's an interesting thing and then you know what i've learned with the backcountry is it's not just you who has to have the education it's your team it's your partner it's i mean for my own life my partners are way more important than than me i can be uneducated and they can save me that's a beautiful thing well you know the the i i've kind of come to the realization in past years the beautiful thing about this this sport that we get to enjoy this experience is i thought it was a really selfish sport that i was doing at first right it's like my ski tracks my gear my thing my skill my ability level but what I quickly realized once I, I started to turn this kind of the professional side and, and just give my wife away to it, which I'm stoked on, is you are you you lose sight of the things that really do matter um, when you're getting out there. And again, it's like the backpack, right? Having an avalanche airbag or something that shouldn't make you go ski into avalanche terrain or something like that. Um, you know, avalanche avoidance is the goal. So it's not it's not getting caught in an avalanche and saving your buddy or or you getting dug out. It's really not becoming involved in these events. Uh, you become caught in one avalanche or you lose a friend, a partner, a, a family member to it. And it, it changes your whole perspective on this thing. Right. Uh, because we're out there with our family, our team. So really, it's a team sport. It's the biggest team sport we have. And we all grew up playing team sports or most of us there. And uh, you realize that your shovel is not for you. It's for your partner. Right. And your probe is for your partner. And, you know, all these things that you do, your education, your experience, all this, the culmination of it all is, is it's really for yourself, but more so even for the people you're traveling with. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So I want to pivot a little bit. I'm sure your summer life is a little different than your winter life, but let's just say winter life, heavy snowfall. What does your day look like? Oh man, it depends on uh, what hat I'm wearing, you know. Uh, my my days range from assisting with forecasting duties to running our avalanche education courses on snow uh, to sometimes just getting out and investigating avalanches or being at events. Uh, but you know, a main a main big day on snow up early, um, whether it's a class or we're getting out on snow to take a look at things in the field, uh, always starts with with a little bit of time at the computer. Um, sometimes it's, it's the phone screen, you know, but we're looking at our weather, our, our, our avalanche forecasts, our information, our observations that are getting submitted from the, to the community from us. Uh, we really have a, a similar process every single day. And whether we got a lot of snow, a little snow, no snow, uh, that process is actually the same every day. Right? So I'm getting up. I'm always looking at my weather, uh, even if I'm not really super ingrained with the forecast or maybe I'm away from it for a few days. I'm always checking my forecast to stay up to speed with it, right? It's like reading the newspaper every morning. It helps keep me up to speed with with everything that's happening when I'm in the backcountry. And obviously we're doing like, for anyone listening, this is like a quick 
synopsis of everything. So we're going to touch on a lot, but I want to just make sure everyone listening knows that this isn't like you don't listen to this podcast and have an avalanche education, but I, and I feel like I should precursor that. But what, what are you looking for? Extreme weather? Sh- like, obviously we know if it snows four feet, okay, <clears throat> there's, there's a chance, but like, are we looking for, and specifically right now, I know uh, for anyone who doesn't know, he's in Utah, and like Little Cottonwood is crazy right now. Uh, I believe there are, correct me if I'm wrong, 64 slide paths on Little Cottonwood. I assume it's, I mean, the snow is, you're at over 800 inches, and I think average is around 350-ish. Yep. So more than yep. double. Uh, I mean, we've got Mount Superior on there, like way steeper than 30-degree slopes. We're trying to hold 60 foot plus snow on this pitch. And what I am assuming is happening is you're bombing early. It's cold, it's stable, and now we're hitting spring. So it's not moving in the morning. And then one, two, three o'clock, you're getting these giant wet slides. You know, just jumping right, right to the the heart <laughs> of it all here. You know, shout out to uh, Utah Department of Transportation and and the Avalanche team over there and those team members. They're the crews who are boots on the ground there, uh, doing the specific forecasting in Little Cottonwood Canyon and Big Cottonwood Canyons and and all avalanche prone areas across the the state. Uh, the beauty of that Utah Avalanche Center is we get to work in conjunction with all these entities. So we're we're in the conversation, sharing information, uh, helping keep each other up to speed with what's going on, uh, what we're all feeling here and, and, and dealing with. Um, but it has been an incredible winter with 800 inches of snow. Over that, we're still not done yet. You know, April's a very snowy month on record here in Utah. And there's, I believe, somebody will probably correct me, over 150 avalanche pass that crossed the Little Cottonwood Canyon or Highway SR210 there. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we maybe gained a few onto that number with the recent avalanche cycles we've had. Um, we've had a winter where it has not stopped snowing. We've seen the sun only a few times. Uh, the, the tan isn't what it usually is at this this time of the season. And it just hasn't stopped snowing again. And for that purpose, it's created mostly stable avalanche conditions throughout the season. We've had a really great year filled with incredible skiing, sledding, all of the above, you know it. Uh, but what's happened is the sun is finally coming out. Spring's finally showing its teeth. The ground dog, it's finally over. And uh, the, the walls are starting to come unglued. Uh, there's been some huge recent avalanches that have crossed uh, the road. And as, as many people might know, or, or even if you're unfamiliar with uh, many of our highways and, and the Cottonwood Canyons specifically have been closed intermittently uh, for now about three days. And they will be for a few more days here because of that avalanche hazard to the road. So this isn't just UDOT trying to get private club days at Alta Bird right now. We'll just talk Alta Bird. I mean, obviously there's Solitude and Brighton, but that's a little less spicy over there. Um, it's still spicy. I mean, it's all sliding like crazy. But Little Cottonwood seems to be the hot topic right now. Twitter's going nuts if anyone follows it. Uh, that's exactly why I'm having Andrew on. I know you don't just cover that area, but it's like an easy hot button topic. But I think a lot of people, tourists, me included up until three years ago, wouldn't understand it. Like, they're skiing. Some days they're skiing up there and we're not allowed up. So why is that? Totally. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, uh, I too went through that stage at, at a point when I moved out here. And, you know, maybe before I kind of knew what was going on and, and decided to dive into this, this whole snow and avalanche world. Um, but what's really going on is, is there is a significant hazard and, and danger from these avalanches to, to travelers getting up and down the Canyon. Um, I have a bunch of colleagues, friends, and, and, you know, close, close people to me who are actually part of living up Canyon and they've been stuck up there for the past week. And, you know, all winter long, they've been dealing with these closures day in, day out. Um, and not only are they dealing with these closures living up there, which is a challenge, somebody's got to be doing the closures, right? And that comes down to the unified police departments. And again, the Department of Transportation, tons of entities. It's a a huge effort uh, to really take care of all this. It's not cheap either. 
you know, the, the, the clock's ticking, the bank's ticking. Uh, it's, it's all happening really fast when that road's closed. So it's, it's definitely not for uh, personal powder days, unfortunately. We don't have to get too much into, into money here, but, um, and you can always plead the fifth, but I mean, it's a, it's a state road, right? It's gotta be taxpayer dollars. I mean, it's just like a normal, like you'd plow the highway, right? Like that's what it falls under. State road. Yep. And then do you get, who staffs, I, I, who's in charge of saying it's safe? Is it like you dot along with? Like, does UDOT have their own, and, and again, if you don't know the answer to this, that's fine, but do they have their own avalanche crew? Do you guys supply them? Is it Alta Bird's, uh, you know, ski patrol? Who is totally. like, go ahead. Totally. So, so with, with the highways in specific, right, the, the Department of Transportation has the, the UDOT uh, avalanche, uh, Utah Department of Transportation avalanche kind of sector, if we would. Um incredible team over there but they have a really challenging job right we just kind of discussed around 150 active avalanche paths right that can hit the road that's a bananas number um it is a really really stressful job and to they have to really come together as a team and focus on these smaller areas uh, that have a lot more hazard as opposed to uh the let's say the utah avalanche center's backcountry forecast which applies to out of bounds terrain outside of ski areas right outside that rope line as well as to all the backcountry area and that's for a much broader uh area right so these these um, department of transportation avalanche forecasters they're focusing on a much smaller region uh, and they have to have a lot more specific information because as we know and i'm sure as you know uh, that road is quite a sight. It looks like Christmas lights on uh, almost any given day from about November to February these days. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, as you were saying it, like you guys deal with way more terrain, but arguable, arguably better, better, maybe more educated clientele. I don't mean better. I just mean more knowledgeable. They understand it when you say this and this it makes a little more sense than the tourist driving up the canyon who just spent who 200 bucks a day to go skiing uh, they don't understand you know they're i didn't understand it i don't mean they i mean i was part of it like what do you mean you, i can't go skiing today it's snowing that's why we go skiing it's inbounds like it's you know, like you can't even get up the road it yeah. blows my mind it's such a crazy crazy might be the wrong term but it's it's this no little, no it's it, it is crazy. You know, again, I've been out here for about 10 seasons now after moving out from the, the East Coast. I kind of started this whole shindig back in New England. And uh, it has become craziness. And I'll find myself even sitting in my rig at the end of a, a guiding day or, or teaching or getting out in, in the field uh, at five o'clock stuck in traffic. Yeah, about it's... Two hours ago. And I find myself frustrated, too. But, you know, just as we're frustrated, I can only imagine what the, the crews over at the DOTs and and uh, the ski patrollers and the infrastructure workers up in the Cottonwood Canyons are really dealing with. It's a very, very stressful job. Um, and, and the best thing we can do is give them a high five and a pat on the back for all they've done. I mean, they definitely don't want that road closed. I think it's good for people to hear that. Like, it's not we're not doing this for a club day. It's legit safety. Uh, if you've watched it and if, or if you haven't watched it and you're listening to this, like go type in what is it SR two ten I think that's like if you type in hashtag SR two ten, you will yeah. see what's happening like almost live, and it is they've done a really they, whoever runs their Twitter does a great job of keeping everyone educated what time they think they're going to open. It it's it's its own little city within this I don't know seven to ten mile strip of road that is like chaos and I think the pictures and videos help because it helps people under just understand what's actually happening. Like there's no, you know, superior slid across the road into like the bunny hill at bird on Saturday. It's like, we've been seeing things that are, are out of our history's view. Yeah. This is also like a once in a lifetime. This is a hundred year storm happening right now. Yeah. I think, I think we're looking at potentially 50 to a hundred year avalanche cycle somewhere, somewhere in there. It's, and, uh, you know, just jumping back to how far things have come in the past couple of years with all the craziness. You know, I was an intern for the Utah Avalanche Center uh, almost probably seven or eight years ago now or so. 
And uh, I actually got to work with the Utah Department of Transportation on their early warning system when they first started doing Twitter alerts and stuff like that, right? And it's just, it used to be a couple things here and there throughout the winter. And just to see the information um, along with the Utah Avalanche Center that all these crews are putting out to educate the travelers on the road, the backcountry travelers, the resort travelers. It's just, it's incredible the sources of information that we really do have and, and all that they're putting out there for us. But still at the end of the day, we're, we're always looking for, for improvements. Yeah. But there's also, there's almost no excuse anymore. Like there's no excuse to not like know before you go. I mean, obviously there's certain zones. Great. But like, how many backcountry zones do you guys cover? Is that a, does that make sense? Totally. We got about uh, eight regions across the state uh, that we have forecast for actually, and a, and a couple more that we've taken observations in as well. So we produce about 1,200 forecasts a year for the backcountry here in Utah, uh, and we receive I can't even think of the number, but it's probably close to two or three thousand observations from the public uh, that also help us provide information and and supplement our forecast too. And those all get logged. They all get logged. Yep. And you can check all of those out at utahlunchcenter.org. We have observation pages right near our forecast and the the plethora of information out there available for, again, you know, riders at the resort, travelers in the canyon, backcountry riders. It's just, it is so awesome. Um, and it's, it's cool. I use those resources that I get to preach every single day when I'm out riding. So that's the cool part about it. We all get to use the same tools. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like the original forum, the more, the more people add to it, the more information we have, the more information we know, arguably the safer it is. That's, you know, if someone went out in a zone yesterday and you were questioning it and they submitted an observation, there's no better intel than that. <laughs> like it's That's the beauty of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really neat it, thing. Do you guys do, does the Utah Avalanche Center do any avalanche mitigation or you guys just do pure observations? So we provide the avalanche forecast for the backcountry, uh, as well as intake all those public observations, all the education, um, introductory level education throughout the state of Utah as well. Um, so we do not do active mitigation at the Utah Avalanche Center. We participate with other crews, you know, the Department of Transportation, Powderbirds, Heli Skiing. We all work together if there's if there's help that's needed. Um, you know, for instance, if there's an accident or something, we'll all we'll all come together for for the cause. Um, so we don't, again, do any active mitigation here, uh, do do mit active mitigation at, at uh, another position of mine where I forecast, um, as well. I just think it's important for people to hear that, like most of these Utah Avalanche Center, Colorado Avalanche Center, you guys are showing and keeping track and keeping record of the observations of what's happening, but you're not, it's not like a resort. There's no... There should never be assumed safety, but you guys aren't out there doing av like chucking bombs in the, you know, eight regions that you cover. It's not happening. It's not a realistic thing to expect. Totally. Totally. Um, and, you know, thinking of that, it's uh, inside the resort, outside the resort. You know, I think the last time I probably caught up with you and saw you we might have been on skis and we we're probably maybe riding some park laps back at killington <laughs> or something back in back in my heyday uh, but my my attitude towards skiing's come a long way too and it's a whole different shift when you get into the backcountry different approach different different perspective on things and yeah it is totally different you know you go outside of that rope line it's the wild west it really is um if you're a surfer a boat or anything right you deal with nature in any any capacity uh, it's very, very powerful. Um, heck, you're in a swimming pool. You can kind of feel how powerful water is, right? That's For all sure. it takes. And snow is is no less powerful than any of those forces either. Um, and and really kind of understanding that is 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 important as well. And you don't always recognize that until you kind of run into it. Yeah, and you know, gravity's undefeated. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite <laughs> lines. Like it's undefeated, no matter what. Yeah. Like if I'm on you know, a razor scooter, it's going to win at some point. Like if I'm skiing a big line, it's going to win eventually. Like, yeah, it doesn't. So it's just like knowing that, knowing when to turn around, knowing how to read things, you know, like I, I did a backcountry tour in Colorado two days ago, Sunday. And like, there's just these giant cornices where I wanted to go ski. And like, I started late. It was getting hot. 
and I knew the answer, right? And I'm like looking at it, and I'm like debate. I'm like, what are you debating it? Like, don't go over there. Like, it's like so. Then I went and did this really lame low angle pow line that like was basically just like a schwacky exit. It was like the last thing I wanted to do. But to me, it was like you made the right move, and now you get to go skiing again. Because like, Every time. but it's a hard. Every time. You know, it's I always say mountaineers are like the best people at failing because they they fail all the time. Like you go do K2 and you just fail like Adrian Ballinger is like, bad at school. Right. Right. Like it's just like you like it's you're so good at failing. And that's the, what makes the the world's greatest mountaineers is because they've failed so many times. But failing means they're alive and it means they get to try again. And like. Being an East Coast kid, you were an East Coast kid. We had tucks. It happens. Definitely happens. But, like, it's a whole other world when you're out west. Like, especially in an 800-inch snow year. Like, it's it's totally – and it's really hard to understand it until you do it. And I think what you said early in this conversation was doing it is the education. You know, and you and you – the first backcountry class I took – he was like, okay, take your probes out. And we were all like, took them out of the bags they came in. And and he's like, cool, your friends are dead. And you're like, <laughs> like, but the, I didn't know. Like, I, why would I think of that? Like, it's not, and it was stupid, but it was a great lesson. And then if I ever have to use that tool, I know it's right there. It's ready. It's not hidden under my scarf and wrapped around. Like, it's ready to be, it's a tool that I need to use. Well, yeah. hopefully never need to use, but. Exactly. It needs to be it's, the a, seat, it's the seatbelt in the car, right? It's the seatbelt. Always wear it. Never want to use it. And it's, it's what I found is repetition. It's, you know, when I'm with my backcountry skiing partners, it's pointing at things and saying those things and observing. And like, it's just like, it's, you know, it's dads are all the best. Cause dads are always like the repetitive, <laughs> like the, I know, I know. And that's backcountry skiing. Cause it's just repetitive. You're pointing at things and pointing things out that you saw yesterday. And like, you're just, it's an observation. And that's what I think makes backcountry skiing so much fun is it's so much more than skiing. It's an adventure. And it's the, it's the idea of failing, failing, meaning not getting your mission. Like I got to turn around. I don't get to ski this line. I don't get to do this today. Like mother nature's telling me no. Well, and, you know, a big, a big part of my approach and it's whether I'm guiding or out for a, a professional field day or just out skiing and riding with my friends or my partner, um, you know, really having, having a tight, loose approach to it and not being focused in on objectives and the end result and things like that. And really just setting yourself up for success by just expecting to go out walking around on your skis for the day or your snowboard or your go meadow skipping on your snowmobile. It doesn't matter what you're doing, right? Just remember why you got into the backcountry in the first place. It's, it's not, you know, maybe it's to go chase big lines down the way. Sure. Who doesn't love skiing big lines? I still love skiing stuff like that. Right. But there's a time and place for it and having the patience, developing those patients and those, you know, those systems and those, procedures that you can follow to do those things safely uh is the most satisfying thing right it's like <clears throat> the backcountry is a wicked wicked learning environment oh it's the harshest like there's there's minimal room for error um i think we all know that but i do think and maybe it's changed a little bit but now with like an easy example is the 50 project like Cody's Cody. He's the Michael Jordan of the ski industry right now. Everyone knows his name. My parents probably know who they, who he is, but like he fails, he turns around. He, and we're seeing that when like, maybe when we were growing up, we didn't see the failures. We didn't see the helicopter days, seven days straight where they didn't go. And we didn't see. So like, we're starting to see it a little bit. We're starting to have conversations about it. And I think, to me, that's been the biggest learning experience. And like skiing is so ego filled, like snowboarding is ego filled. I mean, we're all there. Every life is ego filled. But when it comes to skiing in the backcountry, if you have the right team, 
it shouldn't there shouldn't be egos. It should be I don't feel comfortable. Okay, why don't you feel comfortable? This is why I don't feel comfortable. Okay, I'm learning. I understand that makes sense. If you don't feel comfortable, I don't feel comfortable. So it's been like a really refreshing thing for me with my friends, East Coast friends who we're all hardos and we don't we don't usually have to let our guard down. And when we go backcountry skiing, we get to, which is really nice for a bunch of grown ass men and women. But like, it's really neat to be like, oh, okay, why don't you? Okay, I'm not arguing with you that you don't like that, but tell me why so I can understand and then I can agree or disagree. But like, usually if someone's not feeling it, then you don't do it. Totally. It's, it's that expert halo thing, right? It's, um, it doesn't matter who I'm out with, you know, there's days where I feel like I'm, I'm guiding the crew I'm with, whether it's work or not, maybe it's some of my best friends, but it's, it's all about engaging everybody in that conversation and not letting them put all their trust in you, uh, no matter who you are in that situation, you know, kind of specifically speaking to, to that, that kind of position that I find myself in sometimes, but it's about bringing in everybody into that conversation. Like you said, uh, somebody's always going to have a different perspective than you maybe pick up on something you didn't catch. And you know, that little bit of the wind gusting the wrong way that you didn't expect or snow falling a little heavier than expected, or maybe it's warming up quicker than we, the weather said it was going to this morning. Right. Maybe, maybe the, the person in front didn't pick up on that, but the person back taking their time at their pace did. And it's just, there's so many variables out in the back country and, 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 uh, my strategy is to to take those variables and turn them into constants, right? Or just reduce the uncertainty. That's the biggest goal. Uh, and by everybody sharing and contributing and talking and just communicating in general, just reduces that uncertainty and brings awareness to everything that's going on in the backcountry. And that's really the biggest thing is awareness of what we're actually doing out there. <laughs> Which is just sliding down snow. Say so thanks. Yep. And that's, that's really what it is. And I think we overcomplicate it sometimes and, and we forget that. I, so I would have to agree. With we can that. get really hung up. In the snow. We get really hung up in the snow, but uh, you know, we, we look at a lot of our accidents and stuff like that, that happens and it's people who get themselves into trouble and uh, get themselves in these scenarios. So yeah, you might know this it's all about simplifying the, what's the, it's like 90% of avalanche burials are like triggered by someone in your group. I think that, I mean, I could be wrong on that, but yep, 90, on 90% of avalanche accidents and fatalities are, are caused by the person who, who died or was in the accident or somebody in their group. Right. So what does that tell me? Okay. Okay. 90% of humans, us, we, the people, <laughs> right. We, the people are, are triggering these things and killing ourselves or, or putting ourselves in trouble. If we all learned a little something about that, don't you think that 90% number could go down a little bit? It seems like it should. Right? Or just, just these overall apps. You know, the gear is great. The, the partners are great. Everything is great at the end of the day. But it really is the education of, of understanding what's going on in the mountains, understanding an, an avalanche forecast, remembering to check it, just like you go to the weather forecast every time before you go for a hike in the summer or out on the water, right? It's no different when we're going in the backcountry. When I check that avalanche forecast, it gives me the basic stuff I need to really, at the end of the day, avoid the avalanche hazard or the danger and go get the best skiing I can. Yeah, it's it seems really simple when we're just sitting, you know, in our vans <laughs> and on and in our offices talking about it. But, you know, it's like if we could take the egos out of skiing, I think that that 90 percent would drop a whole lot. Um, and, you know, there's always there's filming and there's projects and there's but like that's a really small percent too, like. I'd say I would be willing to bet like 89% of them are just people out going for a walk. Like, I'm not saying that people getting paid to do it should be taking more risks, but they're going to. A football player takes more risks. He gets paid a million dollars to get hit in the head. Just what it is. Like, so a pro skier, we can pretend that they're not taking more risks, but they are. They have to get that shot. I I think we, that's a whole nother rant I could go down. We, we hide, we use the word progression to cover up danger and like putting our life at risk. We just call it progression, which is 
bullshit and there's 16 year old kids who are doing it now and it scares the shit out of me but that's a whole nother conversation uh <laughs> but i just think it's like it's most of us are just having fun or, or going out to have a good time and 90 percent that's a it's a huge number like that is a massive number that seems very avoidable or very there's an easy way to bring that number cut it in half in the next five years well, and it just, it goes to show we don't have an avalanche problem. Uh, my, my mentor has always taught me we have a people problem, right? And that, that really is what it is. Uh, you know, you take, a drive, you take a driving test or you go to driver's ed before you get your license, right? There's, there's these things we go through, uh, the, these not necessarily rites of passage, but these steps we take to prepare us for things we do throughout our life. And, you know, skiing in the backcountry and riding in the backcountry really, really isn't any different. And it's, uh, it's one of the biggest hazards that we can do if we do choose to go out in the backcountry. It's a pretty so, dangerous sport. So let me ask you this. Um, not program director, Andrew, but personal Andrew. I'm a skier and a snowmobiler <laughs> at the end of the day, so don't worry about that. Well, this is like, I don't want to take like, this isn't, if you could take your job out of it, do you see, I mean, this you couldn't, but because of this big backcountry boom shift, boots, bindings, 50-50 skis, are you seeing more? Are you seeing more people out there? And then if the answer is yes, are you seeing more people sign up for classes? It's been outrageous. That's good then, right? Just uh, So I took over the position from a, a really good friend of mine, Botori. Um, I want to say probably back in 2019, if, if I recall, if that's when COVID started. So peak right boom. There. The, the big boom there, something like that. And, you know, when everything went down, uh, the Avalanche Center, we're a nonprofit as well as part federal forest service. So uh, we're a conjunctive effort, but we thought we were going to have a really challenging year. Little did we know the mountains shut down, uh, the snow kept coming and the backcountry blew up that year. And the increase in usage was unbelievable. Gear sales was unbelievable. We were talking to, our local gear suppliers like black diamond and some ski companies and things like that. And they were their avalanche rescue equipment was off the shelves. Retailers were selling out. It was unbelievable. So that led us to realize that the season to follow after the whole COVID thing kicked off and everybody tried out the whole backcountry thing that it would increase. And my first year as a, as our program director, we, we increased our education program by nearly 300%. Um, went from about 300 students a year to I think we did 1300 that year. Well, that makes me feel good though. Like I I like saying if you don't ski don't start. That's like my like we don't need any more skiers in this world, but it is nice to hear that with sales growth, equipment growth, there was also education growth. Is it the same? No, but like that's a huge jump. So that like is at least the, a correct move in the right direction. <laughs> like, you know, and I would even say the 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 better byproduct of it all is, is almost the culture shift in the the small small snow avalanche and uh, backcountry world that we live in. Even though it's such the center of the universe here in the Wasatch Mountains of Utah, right? Um, the culture shifting and it's becoming cool. You know, like I taking an avalanche class never used to be cool. It's pretty sweet these days. Yeah. I just think know? education's cool. Um, in just any in aspect general. and like, you're, you're arming yourself with the toolbox that you need to go out and do what you want in, in the mountains in the, in the environment that you want and to do safe, to be safe doing it. And I think, uh, I, I say it again, that, that becoming cool is uh, really helping my line of work <laughs> for sure. I'm, and love life. I'm sure. No. Um, <laughs> but it's like, I just think there's always something to learn from somebody and like whether it, even when it's stupid, like my, my nephew can teach me about Pokemon. I don't give a shit about Pokemon, but I've been on this earth 30 years longer than he has and he can teach me something. So like, that's like a really simple, dumb example, but I use it because it's, it's true. Like you don't know everything. And like this young kid who I'm arguably way smarter than knows the whole I don't know what they're called but like knows all about the Pokemon <laughs> like 
that can be used on any grand scale. Just because this person is this, they might be an expert on that. And why would why would it not be cool to learn? Like, in what world is it not cool to learn and continue your education? Specifically in this, when we're talking about, like, possibly saving our own life, let alone our friends' lives. And, you know, I think that that really could be the draw. At yeah. The end of the day. Like... I had some incredible mentors and some awesome people who really took me under their wing when I got into this world. But I really think it was the 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 desire to f- try to figure this thing out, this really complex um, thing out that has so many variables and so many different levels to it, and uh, try to try to simplify it, distill it, right? Put put the pieces out on the table, and I think being able to stay uh, and keep with that attitude of, yeah, I need to keep learning. Right. I always want to keep learning. I love when I get to teach, but every day I teach, I get to learn. Yeah. Um, And it's, yeah, it, people are like, what the fuck these losers? Um, I I do want to have, I want to hit a couple more questions before I let you go here. This might be a dumb question, but is there a difference between sled safety and ski safety? Totally. So, in the, I mean, in the backcountry, you know, we use a, we have the same toolbox in a sense, right? Um, whether it's how we look at our snowpack, our weather, our terrain, right? Those are the three main variables that kind of make up the backcountry. Weather, snowpack, terrain—you can kind of see how they go together. And then humans live around them. We use the same tools to combat those variables um, that live under that snowpack, the weather, and terrain. So, whether you're on a snowmobile, your skis, your snowshoeing. Um, whether I'm out throwing bombs or forecasting or ski guiding for the day, it doesn't matter. I get to use the same set of tools. I, or I go to work with the same toolbox, right? Or I go into the backcountry every day with the same toolbox. Um, it's all about figuring out what tools are going to help me get through my day and ultimately get me home safely to do it again the next one. So if I take, is it, the, do you have separate courses? So there's tons of different courses. Um, but I mean, Oh, go ahead. I mean, specifically, like if I'm a sled neck, do you have a separate, a different course specifically for sleds? Versus so if you ski? get it, if you want to get into it in that manner, for sure, we do. We do have uh, motorized specific courses, okay. human powered specific courses, snowshoer specific courses. Right? We try to we try to hit all the herds. Um, traveling on a sled, it's a little bit different of an attitude. Uh, you use different tools out of that toolbox. Right. Whereas on skis, maybe you're spending a lot more time in one specific drainage or one one specific slope for the given day is on the sled. You're traveling around a ton. You're changing cardinal direction, right? Your aspect and your elevation, your height in the mountains. Uh, You're seeing a lot more terrain. So it's all about learning the tools and then learning how and what tools to apply kind of as you move through the backcountry and you experience it. How. It's a two-part question. How fast do avalanches go and which is faster? Which being a wet or a dry? It's like a quiz yeah, now, great. quizzing you. Great, great. Let's go. I love this. Let's, <laughs> let's go on. Um, I love, you know, the, the avalanches, they can travel slow. They can travel fast. Uh, maximum avalanches can get going anywhere from 70 to 80 miles per hour. They can be hauling down the hill. We might see some people out skiing them and in, in some, you know, pro clips or in some flicks and stuff like that. And that's all great and said and done. Um, they say you got to be good. You got to be good to, to outlive these avalanches, but you also got to be lucky. Right. And that's not going to happen every day. These avalanches are rolling down the hill like a freight train. And if you are anywhere near the tracks, it's, it's game over. Um, so, yeah really fast above the speed limit which is faster wet or dry so your dry slides they're typically going to be faster uh there's less friction within the crystals or the the grains or the the snowflakes per se within the snowpack so they're going to move quite fast uh that's where you're going to see those big powder clouds and things moving across big valleys and stuff like that the wet slides move a little bit slower uh you might see them kind of gouging through avalanche pass and kind of plugging their way down it uh, they look very chunky and thick and heavy. They kind of move like a bunch of molasses going down the slope sometimes. Um, but they all 
operate the same way. They all release uh, with a slab and a weak layer, uh, and they they run their path. What do you do if you get caught in an avalanche? Fight like hell. <laughs> what does that mean? So, <laughs> I, there's a uh, there's a. Do you uh, swim? Do you try to ski out of it? So I can't ski out of it. I get taken. Do I swim? How do I know which way is up? Obviously, take a fucking educational course, people. But I'm just throwing some questions at him at the end here. Yeah, some you know somebody. I, I was how do you know what's way up? Somebody said pull out a smoke, fire it up. You know what I mean? So that way the smoke goes. <laughs> um, you know, the, again, kind of going back to the force of nature. You're a surfer, you're a boater, anything. Heck, you've been in a a wave pool or a uh, go around at a water park or something, right? That it's, it's very, very powerful. It's going to hang you up. It's going to suck you down. Uh, that's the biggest problem with avalanches. They want to suck you down. Take a bag of chips. Next time anybody who's out there, take a bag of chips. Next time you open it, uh, or maybe once you're halfway through it, shake it up a little bit. Just give it a few tosses from the bottom, open that thing up and look at what chips are on top of the bag. It's going to be your bigger ones. It's it's simple science, right? Surface area. The bigger the surface area, um, the, the, the greater chances it has to come to the top. In these avalanches, we're going to be a pretty small piece of the pie in, amongst that avalanche debris, let's say. And it can be very difficult for us to, to get on top of that. So our skis, our poles, our packs, things like that, they can all suck us down. So if you can get your equipment off, that's great. Um you know, for people who ski with uh, alpine toe tech bindings, uh, locking toes versus skiing in ski mode is a, a kind of big hot topic these days. Um, swimming, as you said, you know, again, I go back to fighting like hell. It really is moving your arms, moving your legs like crazy. If you're on your feet still, the best thing you can try to do is ski off of it, right? 45 degrees down to the left, down to the right. That's the path of least resistance. Uh, I can slam my hand in it. I can use a whip it. I could do an ice axe. I could have a rope on me. I could keep going about all these depends on, right? And that's that's really the biggest challenge we see in the avalanche world is there's so many what ifs, right? Like, well, what if I get caught in an avalanche? Or, you know, what if I get swept off my feet? And it's like, what if we slowed down and asked ourselves a few more questions at the top of that slope, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, 100%. And, uh, I, always, I always try to dial it back and... Because my biggest fear is having to fight like hell or ski 45 degrees off an avalanche or something like that, right? Um, so, yeah, that's it's serious stuff. This is my last – well, not last. I'm lying to you. But any, like, specific myth that comes to mind that you want to debunk for everyone about avalanches? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton. And maybe you don't even have one like off the top of your head. It's kind of, I didn't give you any precursors for this. I usually don't. Um, but like, you know, I my, the one what I would think of is like, because I'm wearing an Abbey bag, I'm safe. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like it helps greatly, you know, reduces your risk for sure. But like it's still a last ditch effort. You shouldn't get there. Oh, totally. Totally. Right. And it's, and you could go at the avalanche forecast and, and the Abbey bag and danger versus that. And you could look at it. I look at it again, like the seatbelt in the car. I go back to that. How willing am I to run a light? Is it green? Is it yellow? Is it red? Is my seatbelt on? Right. What are the risks I'm taking? Is it four lanes, two lanes, you know, things like that. Um, you know, let's, let's bust a myth right now. Where do you think most avalanche accidents and fatalities occur? So there's five danger levels, right? On the North American avalanche danger scale, uh, going from low, Moderate, considerable is right in the middle. Then you have high and extreme. Where do you think that most avalanche accidents and fatalities occur? I would say moderate. Moderate. Only, be only because of this conversation that we're having. Like, I feel like it, you wouldn't have asked it if it's where I think it, where, like, I would assume it's like extreme or high. But yeah, the ball was on the tee, but, you know, let's, let's play with it. Probably so, moderate or considerable. Moderate and considerable, exactly. Um, you know, that's that's when the likelihood of triggering avalanches as a human starts to go down. Um, but the avalanches are still typically a good size. And there's a lot of there's still a lot of uncertainty in the backcountry. Right. Um, so, yeah, totally about 40 to 50 percent of most avalanche and accidents, uh, fatalities and accidents happen 
at that moderate and considerable level, which is important to remember, right? It's not going to be at red and, and black or high and extreme when the walls are falling down. It's going to be those trickier times after the storms, when the sun's out, right? It doesn't matter if you're in Utah, you're in Europe, you're in the Northwest, the Northeast, all this stuff applies the same. That's the cool thing about the mountains. Um, but just remembering that. So is that number, not to argue that number, <laughs> but is that number skewed because less people go out when it's high and extreme? So that's only based on, that's actually based on strictly fatalities and accidents and okay. that data, those danger ratings on the days that those events occurred. So it's not taking into any other uh, user right. recognition for account. But it's still something to remember, like moderate doesn't mean no considerable doesn't mean no like it doesn't nope. mean it can't go low doesn't nope. mean no it can go like it can. the only way it can't go is if there's nothing there <laughs> you know and just just a quick one on that i look at the danger ratings and and things can get funky right it could be your stoplight uh but for anyone out there who's thinking a little bit deeper about that i, I invite to uh think about the danger scale a little bit differently and what those words actually mean that that low, that moderate, that considerable, right? If I have a considerable danger uh, for a, a 500 foot wide, five foot deep persistent slab avalanche or just big avalanche in general, right? Well, what's considerable mean to me? That's that's kind of a tough one, right? The, right? the closest analogy we use is like, I'm going to the watering hole with my bud and he's like outside saying, hey, you walk in that bar there's a cat in there and there's a considerable chance he's going to, he's going to rough you up. Right. I'm probably going to find another hole. I know another bar stool or two <laughs> I can find. Right? right. Why do I say that? Is that considerable is a funky word. And these words of estimate of probability, right. Moderate, considerable. Um, we use likely, unlikely, very likely. And that considerable word means likely. And it's kind of right there in front of our face. And Understanding that I have a likely chance to trigger an avalanche as a human and understanding the risks that whether it's the avalanche forecast is telling us or the observations we're seeing in the backcountry and really just auditing and inventorying the risks we're taking are, are one of the biggest things I could offer. Yeah, I love that. How we, you know, what do those words really mean? We see them on the sliding scale, so we think considerable doesn't have as much value necessarily. It's in the middle. It's pretty good. Yeah. But like when you actually think about what that word means you know, it makes a, makes a lot more sense and we just have to, words matter. <laughs> um, but like yeah. likely, highly unlikely, but like it can still happen. Um, and I think that's the number one thing to remember about, you know, I, it always, it goes back to me with like gravity wins, like it will always win. Um, and it's just making the right decisions. So you're not in that position to let it win. Like if you can't, I don't know if you've ever seen Shorzy, but he's like, if you can't win, yeah. don't play. Right? Yeah. Like, and that's kind of what it is, really. Like, if you can't win, don't play. Well, and it's back to the wicked learning environment, <laughs> right? Like, you, you, you learn that the stove's hot when you're younger because you touch the stove. Yeah, hot water hand. burn the baby. Right? Exactly. How you find out the outlet's going to hurt? Because you stick your finger in it or you stick something in it. Right. That country's no different, right? 99% of the time, snow is stable. You know, there's right. your golden nugget, right? right? Whatever that means to you. Uh, but I always go back to a, uh, a piece of film I always like to refer to. Um, and there's a line from it that goes, one in a million. So you mean there's a chance, right? Yeah, By the, a little dumb uh, and dumber. Oh, Lloyd Christmas <laughs> yeah. right there. And, uh, you know, that's all it takes for me. That one in a million, that's enough. That's enough. There's one in a million chance of me dying in an airplane accident, Right. You mean to tell me there's that equal chance that when I go into the backcountry or something? It's just we really need to be thinking about what we're doing out there. That's the most important thing. It's a big difference when we jump outside of that rope line and we really start to get after it in the big hills. Couldn't agree more. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time. My last and final question is how, and this is this goes for everywhere. Obviously, you're speaking for the Utah Avalanche Center. How do we get involved? And, like, what? What helps you guys a nonprofit the most? Because I never know. Like, I again, I told you I went backcountry skiing in Colorado on Sunday, and friends of Colorado Avalanche Center were there. And I was like, oh, are you guys selling anything? She's like, no. And I was like, I was going to, like, buy something and donate just to, like, I read the forecast. I came from Utah. I didn't know what it was. 
They did all the groundwork for me. I knew there were cornices hanging. I took a risk. I got there. And then I diverted from my plan because they were there like they said they were going to be. But how do we get involved? How do we keep these things going? What helps you guys the most as an organization? And I'll kind of leave it at that. Like, how do we help? How do we get involved? You know, I think I kind of spoke on the the, the shift of the, the culture, the new age, the new the new gen coming through of the, the backcountry crews. And uh, whether that's young or old, it's just an attitude. And it seems like everybody's really getting on board with just being a part of it, right? Like, I don't lie to people. I have the best job ever. I have the sickest job ever. <laughs> it's awesome. It's a lot of hard work. We, we got some really long days and, and long seasons. Uh, but my job is to literally be here talking to you tonight, right? Like, hopping on this horn, talking snow and avalanches, talking skiing, all this stuff. And just being um, – being able to communicate with with the community and having the community give us feedback and join in right whether you're in utah or you're back east and you're taking a class from east coast avalanche education or something over near mount washington right it's all about just supporting those crews who are out there getting that information it's it's a much smaller community than we think right even the avalanche center sometimes people think we're we're like this massive organization it's like Four years ago, there's like two employees on the on the nonprofit side and six or seven forecasters, right? And we we've started to grow exponentially, but just remembering that we're all in this together, right? It's like yeah, I, I'm yeah. never afraid to cross tracks with somebody if they're willing to give me a fist bump and shake hands after. You know what I mean? We're all friends out here. We're all in bed together. Yeah, and the biggest thing I've learned in any of this, um, whether it be this job and or you know, a lot of times I get in situations with this job because I'm a podcast host. So then like I go somewhere and they think I'm like, I'm like, I'm not the most educated. I just have like this platform. Right. So it's like. Ditch the ego, ask questions, like don't be shy because that like you I always say like you guys exist to be used. Like use me, use this as a resource, abuse like. Abuse is the wrong term, but like use and abuse. Like if you have an event, like go go to the event, buy a beer, like pay attention, ask questions. When the someone you know you bring in a speaker, like I don't know if you guys do that, but like you have Brody up on the stand, and it's like ask him. That guy's in the backcountry every day. He just walks up hills all day every day. Ask questions. Don't be shy, because that's how we stay alive through education, through community. And just being involved in a greater thing other than just ourselves. And, and you know, it's it's remembering why we all got into this in the first place. It doesn't matter if you're the best avalanche forecaster in the world or the biggest, baddest ski guide out there, right? Or the, the best teacher in the, the world of the avalanche education. Um, we all got into this because we love riding, right? right? It doesn't matter what we're riding on. We love sliding up and down snow. Uh, and that's what we dig. And that's why we dig this whole snow and avalanche thing. And, and, uh, again, just remembering that we got everybody's back and, and just remembering to take care of our own and, and think about that, you know, and it, the, the backcountry community is only growing, <laughs> only growing, even just watching, watching things blow up back East is so cool to see. Because when I left the East Coast uh, about 10 years ago, you know, it was it was a small crew back there. Very small. And uh, it's just incredible to see where it's gone. Uh, I'm so stoked to be able to be a part of the, the, all these things during this time of growth and during this cool part and, and era of the business. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, everyone listening, utahavalanchecenter.org. You can buy a hat. You can sign up for classes if you're traveling. You can... I think they have lift ticket deals. They do the whole thing. And, and if it's not Utah, if you're listening and you're in Boston, like Mount Washington, I think Senate Guides has a guide service. So it like support these people because they are keeping one, the backcountry open for us. Um, you know, the states can easily shut these things down and make it trespassing if they want, in my opinion. <laughs> Um, they can say, no, you can't go back there anymore. So by having education centers like yours, uh, thank you. Thank you for providing a service. Um, you know, it's helped me every time I travel. I, I look up the forecast, see what it looks like, because I'm not 
I don't have the luxury of being in Utah since October. I don't know the snowpack. I don't know the freeze-thaw cycle. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, I'm sure sometimes it's a thankless job. So thank you. Thank for all you. Thank you for all you do. Um, and everyone listening, just support your local avalanche center and say thanks to everybody else because they're out there. And they're taking risks for you. I love that. And as a uh, close, close mentor and, and friend of mine, Craig Gordon says, it's, it's all rock and roll. And yeah. we're, all, we're all at the show together, whether you're on stage, you're down in the pit, or you're up in the seats, right? And uh, yeah, th- thanks for having me. Super stoked to talk about all these things. I'm really passionate about it all. And uh, yeah, I could go on and on. No, I appreciate it so much. Um, sure. So thank you. I'm going to end this recording. You can st-